Amen. So in the Old Testament this week, uh, we've been reading about a man named David. What we're doing as a church all throughout the year 2017 is we're, we've proclaimed this year as the year of the Bible. And what we're doing is we're reading through the one-year Bible together. And what happens is on the weekend, we communicate from the previous week's reading. So like this Sunday's message is taken from last week's reading. So, so Sunday through Saturday is today's message. So if you've been reading, you're going to say, hey, I read that. I know that. Yeah, that's what I read too. Maybe some of you would be better at preaching this than me, but let's just keep the mic on my head for today because it'd just be weird if we just said, come on, go for it. So, so this man named David starts out as, as actually just a, a little boy in, in uh, this week's readings. And by the end of this week, uh, he's more than just a little boy, but the Bible describes him as a small and ruddy boy. Uh, small and ruddy just means he's a little bit short and he's got red hair and he got freckles. So uh, he's just a freckly little redhead dude, which is, which is pretty cool. And power, cause I got freckles, man. It's the power to the freckled people. And uh, David, David was simply being David before he was King David, before he was this, this mighty, mighty man of God. He was just being a boy that was following his daddy's instructions. His daddy is Jesse and Jesse put him in control of their sheep. He was being a shepherd in the field and he was protecting sheep. He was taking care of the sheep. Um, there were times that he would defend and protect the sheep by killing animals, by killing lions and bears and tigers. Oh my, right? Wizard of Oz. Nope. Okay. There you go. You got it there. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, help me out. David is just taking care of things behind the scenes. And one day David is just doing what David does, taking care of sheep and his daddy, Jesse said, Hey David, come on in here. He comes in. You know, sometimes when your parents call a family meeting that things are serious. Well, he walks in and the family's having a meeting without him because there's 10 of his brothers are lined up on the front row, just standing there. There's an elderly gentleman standing on the other side named Samuel. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jordan speak about a woman named Hannah and this dream, this burden that she had to have a boy, to have a son. Well, that son was Samuel. Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord. He became a voice for a a people for a nation. He's the prophet. He's the bona fide voice of the Lord for this entire nation. Samuel, who's the product of Hannah's dream, which was God's purpose. He hears from God and says, it's time to anoint a new man for king. And he says, he's supposed to go to Jesse's house. Jesse, he goes there and says, Jesse, do you have any sons? And Jesse says, yes, I do. I've got 10 of them. And like, they're all like Greek God looking people. Like they're just smooth like me. It's like, man, they're strong. <laughs> look good. And says, so Samuel looked at the first son and like just internally thinking, yep, it's him. Nope, not him. He's God's speaking to Samuel. Nope, not him. Just keeps going down the line, keeps going down the line, keeps going down the line, keeps, goes through all of them that are in front of him. And he says, Samuel's like, did I miss it? Like it's none of these. So Samuel just says to Jesse, you don't have any more sons? Jesse's like, oh, no, I do. I do. He's, he's out somewhere. Call for the ruddy one. <laughs> so he brings David in and he says that when David walks in, Samuel says, yeah, that's the man. Pours oil over his head, anoints him to be the next king. Now he's anointed at this point. What a moment for a young man to be anointed king. But what's amazing is this dream, this anointing, this purpose that God has put on him through man is going to have to walk through some difficulties. And that is what happens oftentimes. 
God plants something in your heart, but we expect it to be here. We close our eyes. We, we expect the Disney effect that, oh, 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 and boom, we're a princess. But sometimes you got to kill giants in order to get to the purpose. And David just continues doing what David does. He's protecting sheep. He's obeying his father's voice. He's responding to God's voice. One day his dad asks him to go out to the battlefield and deliver some bread to his brothers who were on the battlefield fighting an enemy. He goes out there, he sees his brothers, he sees all of his friends hiding behind rocks because there is a very, very strong people group that are trying to kill them. And there is that people group's champion named Goliath, who is a giant who's killed everything that's ever come into contact with him. He's at this point, the greatest fighter of all time. But David realized that he's already killed bears. He's already killed lions when no one was looking because God gave him the strength. God gave him the power. That's a good spot to be, by the way, to realize that it's God who does things through you, not your own power, not your own talent, not your own skill set. But this is where David is. And he says, this giant's nothing but another lion. This giant's nothing but another bear. So he starts to voice his opinion towards the giant. He's like, I'm going to kill you. The giant says, you're just, you're just a little dog. Get out of here. And David keeps jawing at him. He's got this inner confidence. His brother's like, dude, stop. You were just supposed to give us bread. Stop. He's like, no, I can kill him. Word gets back to the king who's at the same camp, King Saul. And Saul says, no, don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. David won't get this thing off of him. So Saul says, man, you're a, you're a, a boy, but we'll call you a man now. At least go put some armor on to fight this giant. Here's mine, the king. It's oversized. It's way too big. He puts it on and he's like, this is not me. David says, this isn't what helped me kill lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. He says, I don't need all this. He says, I just need my sling. So he goes up there and he goes after the giant, takes a stone, slings it at his head, kills him takes Goliath's sword, cuts off Goliath's head. This is the Bible. I apologize if it's too graphic, but cuts off the giant's head. And there's great victory in the camp. You would think that these people, like this would be the purpose. It's time to give me my crown. I'm the king now, right? Well, no, the actual king at this point is a remarkably insecure and unfortunately a demonically possessed man. And he doesn't like David because David has accomplished something that he couldn't. So David begins this, this journey of difficulty in all honesty. He saw where he was supposed to be, but all of a sudden the trail to get there is taking a much different turn. He kills Goliath. Saul is tormented by demons. This king, the only thing that brings peace to his situation is David playing instruments playing music for him. So oftentimes you'd have David come into his camp and play music because that would be the thing that would soothe his soul, soothe his inner turmoil. At this point, David is, is gaining popularity, but he's also uh, eyed a woman that he would like to be his wife, a lady named Michael. And uh, the cool thing is, is this is, or the cool and the unfortunate thing is this is Saul's daughter. So you think you've got uh, in-law problems. That's just a joke. 
maybe you do. <laughs> so the king, who honestly is just mad at David at this point and wants him dead, says, you can have her if, and he gives this boy, man, a very large task. And he says, you need to kill a hundred of these guys and you, do, you need to basically bring back trophies from these guys to prove that you killed them. Well, he does it. He brings back a few extra just to show that it's taken place and everything's good. And what's going on is during these great victories that David's happening, David's having, is people are beginning to become fans. He's becoming this, this celebrity-like person. So when they would go out to battle and they would have victories and King Saul would come back, King Saul would go out and kill a thousand people. And it says that when Saul would roll in, that, that people on the streets would be chanting his name. It says they'd be singing songs with lyrics like, Saul has killed his thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. They were putting this into song. But right after that, Saul has killed his thousands, a smaller guy, a little bit less strong in stature, would walk in who just killed 10,000, David. And the people would be saying, Saul had killed his thousands, and David his 10,000s. And to an insecure person, all that they hear is not the great accomplishments that God has done through them, but the things that others have done. 10,000s, 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 10,000s. This drives Saul to a, a point of frustration where he tries to kill him again, throws spears at him, misses. But what happens is David becomes hunted. David goes on a run, he's sleeping in caves. Caves are not a spot for kings, right? Sometimes great victories are predicated with seemingly great defeats and hopelessness. David is lost. He's gone. And you see it expressed through the book of Psalm where he's speaking to God. God, where are you? Are you still for me? Do you still care about me? And the very next verse, he's like, you are for me. You love me. You're for me. And it's, let's stop playing the game that Christianity is this constant high. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to lost people around us because when they find Jesus, they expect this continual upward trek of glory and excitement and joy when sometimes you're sleeping in caves and you're frustrated. And this is where David is. But after every single moment, after every single step he takes, he's still responding to God's voice. And even in caves where he had opportunities to make himself king, he would respond to God's voice and he'd obey his instruction. And through a series of events, Saul, the king, eventually dies. And David is anointed king and he rules a kingdom. Ironically, through that bloodline, a man named Jesus is born. And in the book of Acts, it speaks, it speaks of this man, this king named David. It says this, God removed him, which is Saul, from the office, and he put King David in his place. With this commendation, I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats my heart. This is God. He says, whose heart beats my heart, and a man who will do anything that I tell him to do. Boy, if God could speak or handwrite something about you, those are two great phrases to hear. This guy's heart beats my heart and he does everything that I tell him to do. This, if we were all honest, is what we would love to hear about ourselves. That's who I wanna be. 
How do we do that? Let's talk about it, church. Because we get into the New Testament and we talk about a man we hear and we're just following the life of Jesus. And it's, it's pretty cool that it stays on the theme of sheep and shepherds. In John chapter 10, it speaks Jesus himself speaking and he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own sheep. And he says, they know me. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna talk, I wanna communicate for just a moment about the role of a shepherd and a sheep. Because we are all sheep. Psalm says it like this, it says, for he is our God. And we are the people that he watches over. We're the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. David was an incredible listener to the voice of God. And if David at the end of his life, it said that he was a man after God's own heart, then I believe that listening has a whole lot to do with being a person after God's own heart. So the very first thing that I wanna point out to you, today is gonna to be very simple. It's gonna be three points to the shepherd and the sheep relationship. And the first one is this, the shepherd leads and the sheep follow. The shepherd leads and the sheep follow. We're referred to as a flock, and I don't know what the picture you get of in your mind is of a flock, but a flock is, is a bit wild. You know, we think of a flock as being this contained group of people, which is absolutely true, but in all honesty, inside of this boundary, there's a whole lot of things going on. I, I, when I was growing up, I lived in South Dakota up until I was 15 years old. And I went to, to my friend's house. His name was Jack and his dad was named John. It was just real original names. This is true. It's okay. It's okay. But John, Mr. Mr. John owned a lot of property, but he owned part of Nebraska and he owned part of South Dakota. Now what he did with all of this territory is he had a whole bunch of cows. He didn't have a bunch of sheep, but he had a bunch of cows. Now, one day in this, in this life I was living, Jack got the thought to invite me to come be part of a cattle herd that they were going to do. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been part of a cattle herd, but up until this point, I was not part of a cattle herding. But Jack had asked me if I'd ever done anything like that. And I said, yeah, I have. It just, you know, you know sometimes pride gets in the way. <laughs> Pride will get you in, in a couple bad spots. You'll either learn really quick and not the road you had to travel to learn it, or you're just going to fail miserably. And you'll kind of hear through today how my route went. Uh, in this, he had a ton of cows. And um, I, I kind of just assumed animals were similar to what I'd experienced with animals. Uh, at this point, all I'd experienced with horses and cows were when we'd go on a random vacation and ride like trail horses. I also learned that trail horses are quite different than real horses. Um, trail, anybody ever rode on a trail horse? Okay, cool, lots of you. Here's what a trail horse does. You get on the horse and the horse hangs his head and he just follows the other guy. So that was my expectation of getting on this other horse, is okay, this thing is going to follow that thing. 
And this horse had never followed another thing. It was waiting on my instructions to kick it, to steer it, to do those types of things. We'll get into that in just a moment. But the herd that was going on, this flock, was a bit wild. They weren't following each other. They were all doing their own thing, but this flock of cattle were safe when they were in the pack. The father, a man named John, had this unique talent, something he had trained the cows to, to do. It was to respond to his voice. His voice wasn't necessarily a word, although still to this day, and I was telling the first service, I'm not real sure what it was, but he would make a sound. It was kind of a whistle, kind of a scream, maybe a word. I don't know what it was, but when he did that, these cows would, would come to attention. Didn't work if I tried it, but when he did it, it worked. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and it says, and they follow me. It says that he knows them and they follow him. Church, we need to be a people that hears the voice of God and responds to the voice of God. This is what we were created to do. We weren't created to be just this, yeah, God gave us free will, but he gave us free will with a purpose, with a mission, and that was to follow him. Who are we to think that we can navigate life in a better form or fashion than the creator of life itself? So when God speaks, all we have to do is follow, but what happens is things get in the way. And we need to be open to his voice. We need to be open to, to his instruction. We need to be open to what he's speaking to us. As a lost person, I'll never forget the moment that I realized God was speaking to me. And it was coming in the form of conviction where I said, oh my, I'm lost. And it was, it was, it was a really good moment, but it was a very fearful moment also because I realized where I stood at that moment. God is powerful enough to speak to you inside this room. That's how when you're here on a Sunday morning, God can speak one thing to you and one thing to you and a totally different thing. He can speak to the person that's been in the church for, for 40 years and he can speak to the people that have been in this church for 40 minutes. He, he transcends time, he transcends gender, he, he does everything and what he does is he speaks uniquely and specific to you if you'll be open to the voice of God. He does it through messages, he does it through the one-year Bible. Come on, how good is that when you're reading? You say, it's like this was handwritten for me. He does it through people around you, through community. I would encourage you in this to be around faith-filled friends, to be around people that can be a voice to you. A lot of us have friends and a lot of us have faithful friends, but the problem is they're faithful and not faith-filled. They're faithful in depression. They're faithful in getting down in the dumps with you. They're faithful in saying, oh yeah, it's real bad. They're faithful in doing all of those things. When God's saying, you might need some faith-filled friends that can pull you up out of the junk. That can say, that's not where you're supposed to be. That can say, there's better ways to do this thing. We need to be open to the voice of God because there is other voices that are vying for your attention. And it comes in all forms and fashions. And what I don't want to do now is say, it comes like this, it comes like that, it comes like this, because I would venture out and say, you know the strongest voice in your life right now. If it's not the voice of God, then it's wrong. 
You need to silence that. You need to push it back. You need to hone in on the voice of God. And honestly, listening to the voice of God isn't enough because there's this thing of obedience. The shepherd leads and the sheep follow. That means the shepherd's saying, hey, over this way, come on. But we have a responsibility to follow that voice, to follow that call. And it comes in so many different ways. Like I said, you're responsible, even today, I believe God's speaking to even some of you now of things you need to do, things you don't need to do, of of different items in your life. That's an incredible thing about worship services. And during worship, God can be speaking something directly to you. I love that God can speak online. You don't have to be sitting in a room. If you're joining us on TV or, or watching on Facebook right now, I believe God can speak to you directly right now in this moment. But your responsibility is to respond to that voice and to that leading. And that takes faith. Faith is difficult because faith sometimes go out on a limb. Faith sometimes doesn't see the end product, but it says, you know what? I know that this is what God is speaking. Don't limit God's speaking patterns to your listening habits. The second thing, the shepherd feeds and the sheep eat. The shepherd feeds and the sheep eat. What does that mean? I I will say this first. If you don't follow God's lead, you're not going to eat his feed, okay? Because feed is work. I also will say all of us are eating something. And when God's trying to feed you, if you're not being filled up and fed through the word, if you're not being fed uh, from God himself, there's two different things that might be taking place. Either you're sick or you're being filled with something else. The shepherd feeds and the sheep eat. Proverbs 15 says this. It says, this was in this, year's, this week's one-year Bible. It says, a wise person is hungry for knowledge. It says, while the fool feeds on trash. Just this week, we were reading in the New Testament about people that were coming into contact with the good shepherd, coming into contact with Jesus himself, and they were being fed They were being fed exactly what they needed for the season that they were in. And I'll encourage you in this. God is going to feed you exactly what you need for the season that you're in. Some of you that are are just in the dumps, that are lost, that are depressed, God's going to feed you hope. He's going to feed you light. He's going to feed you faith. For those of us that need conviction and correction, that we're walking down a trail we don't need to be walking down, it's going to seem like the Bible is every week saying the same thing, course correct, course correct, stop that, stop that. It's going to seem like when you're in messages like this, God's saying stop that, stop that. You're thinking, I get it, but you don't get it because you don't stop. It's saying God's saying keep going, keep going. Why are we running around the same thing? Because we're not responding to what God's feeding us. And I'll tell you this, that God's feed is quality. It's good feed. Man, it's not, it's not that fast food restaurant where you, when you're ordering, you're saying, uh-oh, this isn't good. This isn't, but you still go because it's easy, it's cheap, and you can supersize it. That's not what life and Christianity is all about. It's going to cost you something. It'll cost you your life. <laughs> but in the end, it's worth it. This week... John chapter 8, we come into contact with a person 
that was being fed forgiveness. Why was he needing forgiveness? Because he needed it. He needed to forgive somebody else. Man, you remember that time in your life where you came into the reality that you've been forgiven? Or that moment, so many of you have been on LIFE retreats, that moment where you were able to forgive somebody for what they've done to you. You didn't deserve it. It wasn't right. But you were able to forgive that person. All of a sudden, you're full of life. That's quality. That's quality feed. It makes you a better person. Later on in John chapter 8, we see somebody that gets a revelation of the cross. We need to be in a perpetual revelation, a revelatory state of the cross and what the cross has done for us in our life. The cross is not for just a mention for just real quick so you can raise your hand one Sunday and get saved. The cross is something that continually feeds, that continually builds you. I was in worship in the first service. I was raising my hands and I said, God, thank you for saving me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. That's incredible. Don't lose that. If you're the spot where you're, that's old news, then you need a revelation of the cross. Pray to God, say, God, would you feed me this again? Truth is fed to you, and sometimes truth is painful because truth is oftentimes contrary to the direction that we're walking. Truth is, is oftentimes directly opposite of the way that we want to go. When that horse that I was riding, the trail horse that was broken, that was lifeless, went wherever. You didn't have to lead the thing, but something that had life, <laughs> you had to pull on that thing. And you know what? If that horse, Brownie was its name, if that horse didn't want to go that way, it was painful for him. She might have been a female. <laughs> she was. I apologize, Brownie. Truth sometimes feels like that. Man, in church, in the word, when it confronts you face to face, you say, whoo, I'm wrong. And it doesn't feel good because we don't like to be wrong. Tell somebody they're wrong, see what they do. Very few people like to hear I'm wrong. Truth. Later on in John chapter nine, somebody needed to be fed healing. He was a person that couldn't see their entire life. He was a man, according to the word of God. We don't have an exact age, but he was a man. Comes into contact with Jesus. And at that point, this man wasn't needing a blessing of money. At this point, this man wasn't needing to be fed physically. This man couldn't see. He told Jesus that. And Jesus said, well, that's what you need. So Jesus, as only Jesus can do, reaches down, picks up some dirt, spits in it for whatever reason, puts it in the man's eyes. After the guy's like, gets it off, he opens his eyes and he can see. I'll tell you this, that he wouldn't have traded that in for any McDonald's supersized meal. That's quality. That's life change. That's progression in faith. And that's what God wants to give you and me today. He wants to give us quality feed. Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are you hungry for? Like for real. Church, 
I don't have a lot of time left in this pulpit right here. What are you really hungry for? Like, what's the fuel in the tank? What's the motivating factor? What's the thing that really brings satisfaction to you? And if it's anything apart from God, we need to change some things. Because God is the thing that'll change you. God will feed you what you need for the season that you're in. And then the third, the final point is this. The shepherd protects and the sheep stay close. The shepherd protects and the sheep stay close. This just, this just rubs us the wrong way. Even when I wrote this, I was thinking, it's just, oh, it sounds like a straight jacket. It just doesn't sound right. And that's, that's what a lot of people think about Christianity. When we don't understand that inside the flock, there's incredible protection and freedom. We've got this, this wild hair that says that I can do this, that I'm, I'm going to be a success, that, that I don't need protection. I, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be all right. But as soon as we get out into life, we realize that life is difficult and life is messy. And there's a lot of things that can get us in a bad situation. Proverbs says this, it says a lazy person's Way, path is blocked with briars. How many times have you been walking through life and you realize, oh my goodness, I am in some bad situations. Man, running through briars, you ever done that as a kid? (laughs) There's two different things you can do. You can either stop and say, "Uh uh-oh. And then you like got a tiptoe, which is just remarkably painful because you can't avoid the briars. Or you just keep running and you get through it. And a lot of us live in the briars because we refuse to walk the path that's upright. It says it's an open highway. It says follow God and there ain't no briars. There might be difficult situations, but briars are the thing that entangle us, that surround us, that, that become handcuffs to us. It's the things that we've allowed in our life. It's sin. Amen. Man, sin. We're stuck in sin. And we don't, we can't stop because it, it feels good for a season because it's what I've always done because it's just, it's just who I am. We find these excuses to justify our actions when God is saying, stop, there's protection. Amen. We need guidance on this path. This path is life, just so you know. We need guidance. All throughout these situations, I was reading in David's story what we kind of shared on the upfront. And I just thought, I wonder how many times he had opportunities to go a different way. Matter of fact, every one of those moments, he could have gone a different way. He could have done something else. He could have cowered in fear to a giant. He could have done, he could have disobeyed his father. He could have done different things. And that's the same with all of us. What are those things that we've allowed to entangle us, that have tripped us up? What are those things? Because this life has plenty of opportunities for us to be entangled with sin. We need guidance. And the truth is that God protects us through guidance. If we just 
Man, if we just read Proverbs 15, man, open your Bibles, Proverbs 15. It's not gonna be on the screens because I'm going somewhere else. Open Proverbs 15. Let's have some fun. If you got your paper Bible, you're gonna get there first. Proverbs 15, this is what we were reading this week in the one-year Bible. You wanna talk about guidance? You guys there? Cool. Here you go, verse one. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's good guidance for your life. Wrath, who wants it? No, and how many of us do it? It's because we can't control our tongue. It's because we feel good when we, ha! Ah! It feels good. It feels good to get them, but we don't know the damage that we're doing on the backside. Number two, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of the fools pour out folly. There's no knowledge, it's just there. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. If we lived a life like that, whoo, whoo. The problem is sin is so attractive because we don't know the wages that are going to be paid. It would be a whole lot less attractive if the wages were due immediately. But because of sin, because of God's grace, because of his love, there is a payment. <laughs> Romans is very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's a payment that's going to be due, but because it's not due, it's like, it's like going to that place and realizing you don't have to pay anything except a small little percent. You're just gonna pay on it, just a minimal payment for the next 20 years. <laughs> and you're watching that TV that is costing you $30,000, but it's really only $700. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you waited to stay. And it'll cost you more than you could ever pay. So how do we navigate life with this at hand? Because all of us are sinners. And we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Here's the message of hope. Be encouraged. Jesus. Jesus came to this earth as a man. He lived a sinless life. And you know what? He came into contact with every single temptation that we have come into contact with in the past that we're in the middle of right now that we can't get victory over and the ones that'll come in the future. You see him at the very front end of his ministry be tempted in three very specific categories that a lot of us, it was prestige. Everybody will know your name. You'll be famous. It was power. You can have authority over everything. It was food to meet your physical need, that, that thing that just pleases the flesh. And every time he sided with the knowledge, it was with the word of God. And he said, man doesn't live by this alone. This is where we have to be. This is where we were created to live. And the only way that we can do that is by looking at Jesus's example. So we have to come to this spot in our life where it says, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to just follow my, my heart? Man, just that's the way I'm gonna go. It's just, I know it's the right way and it's, it's not biblically based, but I, I just know it's the right thing to do. No, 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 no. Jeremiah says the heart above all things is deceitful. Get this out of our head that says that we know better than God himself. Jesus was around all kinds of stuff. The religious leaders are saying, why is he around these guys? They're party animals. They're, they're doing all kinds of bad things. There was a woman that was thrown in his fleet, an adulterous woman that had been with many men, except he didn't fall temptation or pray to that thing. 
He saw her full of love, full of grace. He forgave her, but you better believe that there was temptation in every instance. Church, can we stop sinning and follow Jesus' example? Stop sinning. The shepherd protects, but I'll tell you this, the flock protects too. We're better together than we are separate. Do not be a lone ranger. Don't be the one that hangs out on the fringe. Because going back to that story about herding cattle, <laughs> I was on this horse, Brownie. That's his name. I can't give it a different name. I was riding that, that horse, trying to hang on for dear life. Funny, funny point of that, they told me to wear a cowboy hat, and this is no joke. I wore a Dallas cowboy ball cap. That's all I had. <laughs> it sufficed. I was riding Brownie and this little cow, a calf, got off to the side. The whole goal was to move him in this direction but keep him in a pack and this one little dude was just doing his own thing. So I knew what I was supposed to do. Honestly, I tried to do that thing that Mr. John was doing, that scream whistle thing, and it just it wasn't happening. And this little guy ran and ran around and the horse wasn't moving fast enough. I was honestly a little scared too. I didn't know exactly what to do. But finally this little cow gets to this metal grid in the road and he just kept doing what he's doing. He's out running, 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 running. And his legs, all four fall in between. It's called a cattle guard. And he's stuck. And I looked at him and I thought, uh-oh. What do, you, what do you do now? So I, I got off the horse. I held the horse's reins because I didn't want that thing to run away. And I was like talking to the cow. <laughs> My man, come on, bro. You know, for real, I tried to reach down, but it was scared of me. So I didn't know what to do. I got Mr. John over there. And this is what Mr. John did. He got off the, his horse, didn't hold the reins. Horse knew him too. He got down beside this, he got down beside this little cow. And I don't know, he said that same call. He said that word in a little bit different tone. The cow for the first time stopped being so distressed. And I'm not joking, he picked this cow up, put it back on this side of the path got on his horse and led it back to the pack. Some of you are that calf right now where you're stuck. And people have tried to help. Maybe you've tried to help yourself, but your only reaction up to this point has been, stay away. I can take care of it. I can get out of this myself. But you can't. You can't, you can't. If that cow would have been left, the nature would have taken care of itself. A predator would have come and taken it out. And we're talking about animals, but in all honesty, this is a very big spiritual truth because John 10 teaches us that the enemy, he's got a plan. His purpose is to steal, is to kill you, 
and it's to destroy you. He wants you in the cattle guard. And you know what? You can be in the cattle guard and show up on Sunday mornings and raise your hands like everything's okay, but deep down inside you know that you are stuck, you're lost, and you're hopeless. But God came that you can have a rich and a satisfying life. And I'd, I'd go out on a limb and say that God is right beside some of you right now saying, it's okay. Let's get out of this mess and bring you back to the flock. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you are the good shepherd in such a way that even at our worst, you gave your best. So God, I pray right now over every single person inside of this room, God, every person watching online, God, every person watching on TV, God, I pray that in whatever moment they're in right now, God, that they can be with you in this moment. And God, that you would speak to them. God, life is difficult sometimes. And God, I first pray for the group of people, God, that find themselves lacking in one of these three broad areas, God, of not following your lead, not following your lead, not listening to your voice and, and responding to your voice or obeying your voice. God, not being fed with the things that you feed with. God, we've been guilty of, of less than stellar feeding and that's what we've been full of, but God, right now we're repenting of that. We're turning away from that. God, for those of us in this room that realize that we've stepped out from protection, we're trying to do our own thing. We're avoiding the wisdom, the instructions that we've even read just this week. God, we're doing our own thing. But God, we realize it right now. God, hear our hearts. See our hearts. God, we're repenting before you. God, we're asking you to forgive us. And God, to help us come back to the flock. God, help us to hear from you. God, I pray for those of us that have grown so cold to your word. God, that the next time we open, God, that our hearts would be open to receive from you and you would speak new, you'd speak fresh, you'd speak directly to us, God. And God, right now I pray over that group of people, God, wherever they're at, that realizes that they're stuck, they're lost, they're hopeless, they're in need of a savior. Right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, would you reveal that to their hearts? God, this is our prayer that you would speak. And God, my prayer is that with all the courage that you have, God, that we would not just hear from you and realize or acknowledge our status, but God, we'd respond to that with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If you're saying, that's me, Pastor, you are speaking to me. I know it and it's time to get it right. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and receive salvation. I want you to slip your hand up. You can put it down. We're gonna pray for you. Anybody that says, yes, that's me. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. People all over the room, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Come on, a bunch of people just saying, yes, yes, that's me. Know this, that as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope for your soul. So God, I thank you that it's your spirit that came. God, your spirit that's speaking, God, that's communicating the great love that you displayed for us on the cross. And God, I'm praying with those people that just raised their hands. 
God, they lift their hands. Man sees hands, but you see hearts. So God, I pray over every single heart that's wide open right now that's saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I know that you came to this earth. You died for my sin. And right now at 1223 on Sunday morning, I'm receiving the gift of salvation. I'm receiving what you did for me on the cross. And in this moment, I give you my life. I give you all the good. I give you all the bad. I give everything that I've ever been, everything that I will be. I submit it to you, the good shepherd, Jesus. I'm calling upon your name for salvation. And I thank you that your promise is that you came to seek and save that which is lost. And God, I thank you that we in this moment are lost no more, but we've been found. We thank you for the gift of salvation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church, would you give it up? Those that made decisions. This is what it's all about, that the church would be edified, that we'd come together, we'd encounter the presence of God, that we'd hear a specific word for every single one of us, that we'd grow in our knowledge, but we would grow in our heart for God and for people. This is what the church exists for, and this is who we are as a church. So I'm honored that you guys would be here. For those of you that made a decision today, you prayed that prayer, what's gonna take place, our campus pastor, Pastor Jordan, is gonna contact you this week. He wants to help you grow in who God created you to be. He wants to help you take your next steps. And remember, we're better together. We need people beside us to help us along this journey. So be sure to do that. You can also accomplish the same thing by texting the word SAVED to the number 51660. Come on, would you guys go on and stand to your feet with